You're now listening to Hack and Grow Rich with Shaheen Shayan and his co-host, Bart Baggett, where we discuss hacking your way to success and the unconventional paths to unreasonable success with the people who've been there. And now, the author of Billion, How I Became King of the Thrill Pill Cult, Shaheen Shayan. I am here with Shaheen Shayan, who is considered one of the leading global minds on what's next in e-commerce, Amazon, and the internet. He is described as the Willy Wonka of Generation X. He has a new book I'm very excited to talk to him about, titled Billion, How I Became the King of the Thrill Pill Cult. This is going to be interesting. I'm looking forward to it. So welcome. Thanks so much. Excited to be on. Oh, well, this will be fun. I mean, you're used to this. You have your own podcast, as we, we talked a little before the air. And, you know, it's always interesting to have people from different industries and, and have done different things on the show. And so I was looking forward to this because I don't get a lot of people who have done the kinds of things that you've done. Um, and I want to get a backstory on you because I know it started pretty early uh, in your life that you were successful, at, but you left home with nothing, as I read. So I want to hear how that came to be. Yeah, absolutely. So I started when I was 15 years old and I left home. We were immigrants from Iran. We were political refugees when we came to this country in 1979, roughly. And my folks were solid middle class in Iran. My dad worked for a big accounting firm. My mom worked for Lockheed as a secretary. And we were doing pretty well, well to do in Iran. Mm -hmm. Had to leave during the revolution and come to the United States uh, with effectively the clothes on our back, realizing very quickly that we were not only poor, my dad having to work at dry cleaners and pizza shops just to make ends meet, but we were third-class citizens in this country. Growing up during uh, Reaganomics, Iran-Contra, and all that stuff that was going on. So by the time I was 15, I began to realize that, hey, there's all this wealth around me there's all these people that are making money i want a piece of that i want to have the porsche and the nice houses and the fabulous lifestyles and going out on the boats and my my folks managed to get lucky it was one of the few correct financial decisions that my father ever made was that they bought a house in an area that just happened to be up and coming and just after we bought that house the area started coming up. All this wealth started coming up around us. So I remember walking into my parents' room and being like, hey, you know, I, I want to be rich. Imagine a, a 15-year-old kid. Right. How do you do that? And my folks were like, well, uh, look at Mr. Tehrani down the street. That man is doctor. The only uh-huh. way is to be doctor. You have to be doctor. Uh-huh. So, okay, great. So that's, you know, to them, to any immigrant family uh, in that era, the pinnacle of success was for your son or daughter to be a doctor, mainly for yourself, to be a doctor. Right. So I said, all right, cool, let's do that. I, I want that. I want the, you know, all the, all the, all that stuff. And how long does that take? I said, well, <laughs> you know, it's eight years, 10 years. Why don't you go talk to that guy? And so I walked across the street to look at that guy. And I was like, oh, man, that guy's fat. The wife is fat. The kids are fat. They're not happy. The house is nice, but the bank owns the house. 
he's got a nice Benz, but the bank owns the Benz. And what's worse is the guy looks miserable. He wakes up. The wife yells at him in the morning. He leaves at 5 a.m. He comes back at 8 p.m. He doesn't own his hours. The whole family's miserable. I'm like, I don't want that. I want that guy going down Pacific Coast Highway with the top down in the Porsche blasting some great music out the thing and living the carefree life. But there was no path to that. Mm-hmm. And I knew from that time, from very early age, from almost 10 years old, I started reading Napoleon Hill. I read Ogmandino. I started reading the, the old, original Anthony Robbins stuff, Wayne Dyer, all those great personal development, right. self-help, old-timey guys. And I knew that there was a path to wealth and success. I just didn't know what it was. So I packed my bags and I left on my own. I had no friends, no family. I cut ties with everybody. I effectively burned my ships, and I knew that I would have to go out there and seek my fame and fortune. And that's basically what I did. I, I managed to, in in that time, there was a big building boom in Los Angeles, and they were building faster than they could keep up with it, all these luxury condominiums. Well, I, I learned very quickly that if you could make nice with the brokers, like look clean enough to just go view one of these things, you could catch them putting in the code into the lockbox and get the keys. And so I would slip in at night after everybody was done and I would leave early in the morning. So I would get to sleep in these like luxury apartment buildings. Maybe sometimes they didn't have power. Sometimes they didn't have water. It didn't matter. I threw a sleeping bag down. I was, I was, I was great. And I would hang around the community college. There was plenty of food always being served at the community college. And, the you know, I managed how to sneak into the uh, professor's lounge or the student's lounge or whatever. There would always be food there. So I had that part figured out. And I managed to get myself a mentor at that time. And you you and me talked about this before affair. Uh, I I wrote a book about this called Billion, How I Became King of the Thrillpole Cult. And I managed to get a mentor who was a a really exceptional individual. And through him, I discovered the rave underground EDM electronic music scene at the time, which was going crazy. It was the beginning of the mass electronic music movements, particularly in Los Angeles, but in, in most metropolitan areas. And hanging out in that scene, I began to notice that the people who were making money in these events where it would be these warehouses, there would be tens of thousands of people partying to all hours of the night. It was not a drinking environment, so people didn't really drink alcohol. The only people making money were the drug dealers. So I thought to myself, I thought, hey, you know what? That's perfect. That's exactly what I need. These guys have like nice cars. They've got beautiful, beautiful women. They've got the big houses they got all that stuff that's all i gotta do well what are what are they selling well everybody was selling a drug called ecstasy everybody was taking mdma which was the big party drug at the time and so i thought to myself great i'm gonna do that and then i thought back yeah not a good idea though i thought back to my adolescence i'll tell you why it wasn't a good idea (laughs) okay so as we came to this country i realized that um, I had to do something to differentiate myself, aside from getting my my butt whooped every single day at school for just being um, 
you know, being a foreigner, not being from this country, barely speaking English. I, I just did not get along. So I, I gathered together all the misfits, all the kids that didn't belong. There was something wrong with every single one of us. We created a little gang and we started selling illicit products in school as an adolescent in grade school. We had a little Greek kid. I remember him clearly, uh, very mischievous. And he was cute because he was a small person. And he was able to sneak under the old metal detectors that they had in the stores in the 80s. So we would go to the liquor stores and the little stores around the neighborhood. He would sneak in. Nobody would suspect anything. We would create some kind of a distraction, more theatrics than anything. And he would stuff his baggy clothes filled with little liquor, uh, nudie magazines, uh, glue, any gum, candy, whatever it was at that time that we weren't allowed to have. And we would sell it. And what I learned in those days was that we were really good at selling stuff and making money, but horrible criminals. I remember thinking to myself, <laughs> sitting in detention, like, Shaheen, dude, you are bad at crime. Crime is not something you should be doing, sir. You are bad at crime because uh -huh. you always get caught. There was not a single time we didn't get caught. It was like part of the thing. We'd be in detention. Uh -huh. We'd start selling stuff in detention. We'd get busted in detention because we were bad at crime. So uh -huh. now I'm 15 years old in the club scene thinking that I'm going to be a drug dealer. And I realized, you know what? I'm bad at crime. I'm self-realized enough to know that crime will not be the thing I will be doing. So in that moment, I had an epiphany. It occurred to me that if... I could create a version of this ecstasy that was legal, that was natural, that was herbal, that didn't have any side effects, that the government couldn't get on me about, that uh, we could legally produce and legally sell, I could make some money. I could make a lot of money. And I got excited. I somehow, in my broke state, managed to get myself a girlfriend that I met in the rave scene somehow. She didn't seem to care that I was broke. <laughs> and her father was some bigwig, some superintendent of some school district, three-piece suit and tie and all that stuff. And I managed to convince her to let, sneak me in through the back door as he left through the front door to go to work. And in her kitchen, I would cook up the first prototypes of this product. And every day I'd be in there cooking something up, making a prototype, mixing the herbs, until finally one day we got a formula, and it works. And we had all the neighborhood derelicts and kids over at her house. Her dad would probably have a heart attack if he knew that's what was going on in his, in his beautifully, <laughs> right. perfectly oriented home. And we uh, tested it, and it was miraculous. It worked. The formula worked. It was incredible. So once again, I now was faced with the problem of how I was going to sell this, but I, I think I, I had already come to that conclusion that I was going to go to the club and I was going to recruit the drug dealers to sell it. Easy. So I showed up at the club that night. I had these baggies full of pills and I didn't have enough money to buy the machine that puts the herbs in the capsules. So we had to roll them with honey into these little balls that kind of look like capsules and put them in bags. So I had these goo-filled pill-looking things and huh. baggy. We had a little card inside. And I was like, that's it. This guy's going to sell it. And then as I walked in there, I realized, man, this is a guy who 
when I when I looked at the drug dealer at the club, I was like, this is a serious guy. This guy doesn't smile. He had tattoos on his face. Very mean looking guy. Right. And I remember walking up to him, him saying, hey, what do you want? I, I don't have any more product. Now, at this time, mind you, a, a great example of me being at the right place at the right time. At this time, the global supply of real ecstasy, the real drug, completely dried up. Hmm. And these guys were left with unlimited demand, but no supply. Right. So I said, he said, what are you, a cop? What are you, a cop? I said, nope, definitely not a cop. Look at me. Oh, yeah, I'm a teenager. Do I look like a cop? To you? I'm not <laughs> old enough to be a cop. He said, okay, well, then what, what do you want? And I said, look, you're going to sell this. And he looked at it and he goes, what is this stuff? And I said, oh, it was in that moment I came up with the name. I said, herbal ecstasy. He said, what? He said, you better not be messing with me. I said, well, you know, I don't think I'm messing with you, but I'll tell you what, you don't have very many options. Right now, you can go out of business, go to jail, or you could sell my stuff. And in that moment, a couple people walked up to him. I heard some negotiating going on. He, they're handing him money. He's handing the money back. He's getting uh, noticeably more frustrated until... Finally, he, he motions over to me. One of his bodyguards motions over to me. I come over there. I hand him a single baggie. He grabs my entire backpack filled with pills, and he says, come back in two hours. You better not be messing with me. I'll kill you. Grace. So, suffice it to say. You it really hoped longest... it worked. <laughs> well, it was the longest two hours of my life. Yeah. In, inside that club, being a teenager, I was sweating bullets. My palms were sweaty. I was noticeably nervous walking around thinking, okay, I, I am a atheist. I was at that time as well, but I remember praying to multiple gods thinking, if you just get me out of this one, if you can just get me out of this, I will, I will be good. I will go home. I will study. I will become a doctor. I'll do whatever you want. Just get me out of this one. You know, I'll do anything. And then two hours passed. And it was a very long two hours, and he motioned for me to come forward, and I thought to myself all the excuses I was going to use for this man not to kill me. I thought I'd work for him for free. I'd polish his car. I'd shine his shoes. Whatever it took. Right. And he did not have very much emotion in his face, and he motioned me to come forward. And I was ready to make peace with my maker. And he looks at me, stares me down, and out of his mouth come the words, how soon can you get me more? Oh. And that was it. It went from one guy to 10,000 guys to thousands and thousands of guys all over the world. We were selling in 30,000 stores. We shipped it to brick and mortar. Larry Flint, the publisher of Hustler Magazine, sold it throughout all the adult and sex stores across the country. We were in all the new age bookstores, keeping a lot of those bookstores alive as people stopped reading books. People were going into those bookstores, uh, record stores, warehouse records, tower records were buying our product. And we were making hundreds of millions of dollars. We went on tour with the Beastie Boys at Lollapalooza. We did all the great concerts and shows. We were it. I was on TV almost every day. And I remember I had an exotic car collection. I would sleep in, in my cars. I had a, a Lamborghini at the time and an Acura NSX and all those fancy Ferraris, Porsches, all that stuff. I had the boats. We had flying around in private, private planes. We were doing all that stuff. And I remember one morning I had fallen asleep on the 
passenger seat of my Lamborghini, not a good look, drooling on this beautiful leather seat of this car, woke up, because I usually would get about two hours of sleep, uh, stumbled into my office. My secretary was there. She was pale like a ghost, and everybody didn't know how to approach me. And I said, what's going on, guys? What, what the heck's going on here? And she said, Shaheen, you know, that's in the limo outside at Sam Donaldson with Nightline. Uh-huh. She wants to interview you today. And by the way, anybody who wants to, you can watch this on, on YouTube. The uh-huh. video is on YouTube if you right. guys want to see this. Montel Williams is, is sending you to New York tomorrow. Newsweek is outside. London Observer. Details Magazine wants to do a cover piece with you and Chris Cornell. And I said, well, what's different today than yesterday? So, well, the news broke that you've made over a billion dollars in revenue. This is pre-internet. I'm wow. talking billion. With a B. What year was this? We're talking, it was in the 90s, mm-hmm. uh, probably mm-hmm. early, mid-90s. And uh, the news broke. Uh, this was before mobile phones, before social media, before Facebook, before MySpace, before TikTok, before any of that stuff, before Silicon Valley, before the internet was really a thing, we had broken a billion dollars in revenue, and it was nuts. And I remember thinking to myself in that moment, holy, you know what? Right. Uh, I don't know how much a billion dollars is, literally. <laughs> and I had a panic attack. I was like, is it a hundred million? Is it a thousand million? Jeez, I don't know. Like this is this it put me in uh-huh. a panic. And that led to a crazy wild ride of a teenager running one of the biggest and most notorious companies of that era. That was me. Well, Okay, so this is really an interesting story. You know, images of Breaking Bad combined with, I don't know, maybe Leonardo DiCaprio playing you. I'm trying to (laughs) envision in my mind. Um, Just because I've had Scott Harrison on the show who, you know, went from clubs and and waking up like how, you know, but taking serious amounts of, you know, substances and alcohol to, to creating charity water and doing something really wonderful. And, um, how did you feel about the product you were selling? I mean, did you think that this was um, something that people needed? Was it to get wealth? Was it, how do you get around FDA and that kind of thing? I'm just curious about that aspect. I was focused on what I was doing at that time, mm-hmm. which was succeeding in the world of business, but also making my mark on the world. Mm-hmm. I wanted to, as Walter Isaacson wrote about Steve Jobs in uh, his great book, uh, his uh, biography of Steve Jobs, I wanted to make a dent in the universe, and that was my goal. I wasn't really money motivated, although we were printing it at that time. I was buying the stuff for $0.25. Cents. That was our total cost of goods, our COGS. We were selling it for $20 all day long hundreds of millions of dollars a lot of the cash i had duffel bags filled with cash briefcases filled with cash literal piles of cash everywhere and we could not sell the stuff uh as quick we we could not make the stuff as quick as we could sell it i had production facilities set up all over the country and we were making this stuff very quick now fda at that time did not regulate supplements so there was no 
uh, right. formal regulation. As long as your ingredients were generally recognized as safe, you were able to sell pretty much whatever you wanted, much to their dismay. Right. And so, the but what about competition? Could could why wouldn't anybody imitate what you were doing? Yeah, that's interesting. They did, mm-hmm. and people tried. Fact is, when you're first to market. Much like Coca-Cola, it's like, you know, hey, why can't you make Coca-Cola? You know, it's, it's just sugar water. Right. You get some sugar water from caramel, you know, flavor, whatever. There's plenty of drinks out there that taste every bit as good, in my opinion, as Coca-Cola. But they're nowhere near the profitability of Coca-Cola. Why? Well, there's a couple reasons. One, first to market. And two, the most importantly, distribution. I had the distribution. I created this industry. I created this niche. And then we dominated. And sure, there were knockoff products there were and some, sometimes some of my employees who stole stole from me and then went out there and created their own brand and tried to compete with us quickly realized that they could never come close to what we're doing you can by doing that you can get a small piece of the pie but you can't become the first mover in a market right. it's very difficult to do if somebody now wanted to come and surpass Coca-Cola, it would be near impossible, A, because you wouldn't have off the bat the financial resources to do it, B, you wouldn't have the distribution, and C, you wouldn't have the, the loyal fans. So that stuff takes time to build. You can't do that overnight. You can start a, a different cola company and be successful, but uh, a knockoff of a company like Coca-Cola certainly isn't going to be, be that. And we were Coca-Cola. Well, and you obviously uh, had a market for this. And you wrote about this in your book, as I said, uh, Billion. Um, Chris, I noticed Chris Voss wrote your uh, foreword, right? Um, he, the introduction to your book, he was on my show. He's a great the FBI hostage negoci- negotiator. Uh, I think he wrote Never Split the Difference. Um, and I know you've been on a lot of shows like Adam Carolla's and others. Um, so what is your uh, focus now? Are, are you still in the, the supplement type of industry? I know you're doing a lot with Amazon. Uh, yeah. And what made you get away from that if you have? And what are you doing at this point? Sure, I totally am. And, and yeah, Chris is a, a great friend. Like you said, author of Never Split the Difference, Black Swan Group. He's, he's a good friend of mine, and we see eye to eye on a lot of those things. So this is what I this this is what happened after. So after the ecstasy thing, you know, started slowing down. Government started uh, clamping down on that. I moved on to solving a different problem: the problem of vaporization, um, the problem of smoking. People have been smoking for thousands of years, creating smoke tar and carbon monoxide, and nobody had really found a solution. So I went on to develop the first digital vape, the first digital vaporizer, digital portable vaporizer. Uh, I had all the patents in that. I wrote a book on it. So all that technology arose out of what all, all what you're seeing now, the e-cigs and the vapes and whatnot, arose out of technology that we built and developed um, many, many years before their popularization. That company, I exited in 2006. It went public on the public markets. It's still a publicly traded company today, although I don't have any involvement in it. From there, I decided, hey, you know what? I want to start doing supplements again and specifically want to get into the nootropic space nootropics are supplements that help protect and accelerate mental performance because i'm uh, a father now i've got a eight-year-old i thought man 
I, I got to really get on top of my mental game if I'm going to be keeping up with a lot of these younger guys that are out there doing excellent work. So I developed this brain supplement. Fantastic. Worked really well. It took me a couple of years to build it. And I thought, man, this is going to be the winner. This is really going to be it. But I got to figure out a way to sell it because supplements are very expensive to produce real supplements. Well, most people don't know. Most supplements out there, they put a bunch of ingredients on the label right. just so people will buy and they'll show up and search on the internet. They don't really have very much efficacy for most. There are mm -hmm. some that do. Mm -hmm. So I developed a, a efficacious product, one that actually worked. It did what it promised, but it was very expensive. At that time, it was about $120. People can still get it today, by the way, on Amazon, but we're not here to pitch that. So um, I developed Accelerol. It was $120. Focus Plus Accelerol was what it was called. And I decided, you know what, I am going to list this on wherever I can. And I started learning, and this was back in the day where Bezos wasn't the richest man in the world. In fact, he was struggling to get by because his company was pre-revenue. They didn't have any money. And you could get him. You could get him on the, you know, on the email. He would answer phone calls from time to time. He wouldn't be a difficult, inaccessible person. He was a very right. accessible. We we learned through the grapevine that he'd opened up this platform. I thought, you know what? Let me list Accelerol Focus Plus on there, and we'll see. It took 15 minutes. It was very easy. Open up a seller account. I was like, great, because he opened up his platform, I should say, to third parties to sell things. Before it was only you're buying it from Amazon. And subsequently, he's like, you know what? We're going to let third-party sellers sell on there. I was like, cool. I'll sell my pill. Went to sleep. Woke up. Thousands of orders. I was like, oh, man. Because people knew again. you from your other product or did because of some nope. other reason? Nope, because the magic of Bezos, because of Amazon. Mm -hmm. this, this platform had just opened up. They were pumping money into getting eyeballs on there. And people love the idea of being able to buy a supplement online it's not like it is today today we take for granted the fact that we click a add to cart button or a buy it now button and 24 hours later we got prime shipment in our door now because of covid it's a little slower so like two days three days later the package is at our door it wasn't like this 20 years ago it wasn't like this 15 right. years ago it wasn't even like this 10 years ago this is fairly new development but now we expect it as the norm so the fact that people could get this seamless ordering process, this excellent Amazon customer service, all this all this stuff was amazing. And there wasn't very much competition. We were it. We were probably the first supplement on there. And waking up, I was like, man, look at this. We got thousands of orders at $120 a piece. That's a significant you know, stash of money. I thought, Let me look into this Jeff Bezos character. I think he's interesting. <laughs> and I started looking into him and I was uh -huh. like, you know what? This guy is not a chump. He's not just this little Silicon Valley nerd sitting in his office with a spray-painted Amazon sign behind him. This guy comes from a very well-crafted pedigree. He comes from Wall Street. He knows how to take cheap money from Wall Street and pump it into Silicon Valley. And he's not building an – this isn't an experiment. This guy's going to take over and disrupt – retail through e-commerce and i knew that at that time so i said you know what all bets are off i'm i'm putting all my eggs in the bezos basket and that's what i did i spent all my time hiring the best people who knew how to build on amazon the best storytellers and we became experts at selling on amazon 
And subsequently, what happened is people started coming to us, big corporations, Fortune 50s, Fortune 500s. They said, hey, we don't understand this, but this is this is the biggest thing to happen. Can you get our products on there? Can you do what you do? And we said, sure. And our rates kept going up and up, and we started charging some ridiculous thing, and people kept paying it until I started noticing more and more individuals coming to me saying, hey, Shaheen, I want to start an Amazon business. How do I do it? Hey, you know, I'm, I'm, I got a guy who's an oil engineer working for one of the big oil companies. He's like, man, I got to get something on the side. You know, I'm not going to drive Uber. Can I? Can you find something for me to do? I've got five, ten grand. I can, I can invest right now. Can you? Can you find something for me to help duplicate my money, uh, multiply my money? I said, yeah, sure. But you're never going to be able to afford me. My rates are too high. So I built a class. I built a course, an Amazon course. And now what I do is I teach, train, coach people. We've got a mastermind. We've got people from all over the world, and I train them how to start these Amazon businesses, how do you find products, how do you get reviews, and how do you get in there and dominate that niche and create this predictable recurring revenue. Because at the end of the day, look, for me, I've made my money, had my success, I'm good, I'm a family guy, we travel the world, we've got our cars and our houses, and we do all that stuff, we got our vacations and our trips and all that. But what it's about for me now is being able to inspire others to create wealth. And I think that I talk about foundational wealth. There's four areas to that that everybody has to have. One is cash flow positive real estate. And we also teach that through our course, how you can take the money you make from Amazon, put it in cash flow positive real estate. Very important. Everybody should do that. Have some kind of real estate that's that's creating recurring predictable revenue. Second is compound interest. Reason why Warren Buffett is one of the wealthiest guys, one of the most successful investors in the world, is because of the sheer length of time he's been compounding for. Third area, you need to have something that brings you predictable revenue that it could be your career, it could be your job, but it keeps diapers on the kids, it keeps food on the table. It keeps you from having to stress out. Eventually, we want to get you out of that. And we want to get you into a place where you are not selling your hours because that's the biggest crime on any entrepreneur is the fact that they have to sell their hours. I've been looking and looking for years, but I have not been able to find more than 24. And I know if you want to live an unlimited life, you don't want to limit yourself by the amount of hours you have in a day, which is why products business is so great. It leads me to the fourth pillar, which is physical products, specifically through an e-commerce platform and the best one out there. More millionaires and billionaires have been created and will be created in the next 10 to 20 years through Jeff Bezos and his company, Amazon. They're creating, you see Bezos and people are like, oh my God, look at that guy, he's a trillionaire, he's shooting that massive penis up into space, you know, he's, <laughs> he's wasteful, all that stuff. But uh -huh. the fact is, People are short-sighted. They see his houses and his yachts and his girlfriend and all this stuff. They're like, oh, my God, this guy has it all. But what they're neglecting is one of the reasons why he's so successful, just one, is the fact that he's inspiring other people. He's creating the opportunity for anybody to go in there and create wealth by becoming an Amazon seller. And that, that's what we teach through our FBA seller course. And, you know, uh, I know we talked about, you know, you don't like selling things. And I don't like selling things on my podcast either. So I got a one hour course, normally 200 bucks. Anybody listening to the show, radio, podcast, whatever, I'll give it to them for free. You guys, you don't need to buy anything. You don't need to spend any money. I will share my one hour course, everything from A to Z. 
how to create an Amazon product, how to get reviews, how to find financing, whatever you need to get your product up there. That's free, and they can get that. You know, I give my email away. I respond to all emails directly. It's D-A-R-K-Z-E-S-S at gmail.com or go to fbasellercourse.com. And I'll, I'll just give you guys the one-hour course absolutely for free. If I can inspire people to do some level of what I've done to stop selling their hours, then I feel like my job is, is worthwhile. Wow. Well, you know, your story is a fascinating one. I, I, I love that you got away from um, the illegal stuff as a child. I, I teach a lot of ethics courses in my um, higher ed courses I teach, and I think there's a lot of lessons to be learned from uh, what people, you know, the paths people take. So yours is an interesting story, and I knew um, w that uh, you would have a lot of um, insight as to you know what has worked what doesn't work and which way you should or should not go uh based on what your story was so i'm glad you know that you shared the the negatives as long as well as the, the positives of what has come from your experience and i think a lot of people can learn from you um i, I know you shared your websites is there anything else you'd want to share before we leave because i know we're at the end of the show yeah so there's a few different ways people can get in touch with us so you can check out our podcast, which I co-host with my partner, Bart Baggett, which is Hack and Grow Rich. That's on all the different podcasts, wherever you find podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts. Look up Hack and Grow Rich. Make sure to subscribe and like or dislike. Leave a comment. Same. You can also check us out on YouTube. We've got a YouTube channel where we post all the videos. If you're interested in me or the course, that's going to be at fbasellercourse.com. FBA, of course, stands for Fulfillment by Amazon. And also, check out my book if you if you found any part of my story that inspired you or if you absolutely hate me and you'd like to troll me. I'm very <laughs> open to that as well. It's Billion, How I Became King of the Thrill Pole Cult. The audiobook just dropped on Amazon uh, exclusively on Audible. And yeah, I'd love to hear from you guys if there's any way I can inspire you, help you, coach you, mentor you to reach your full potential. Reach out to me. Well, that was really uh, great that you could share all the information, Shaheen. Uh, this was so uh, fascinating. Thank you so much for being my guest. Honored to be on. Thank you so much. Oh, you're welcome.